Anyways, welcome to As A Film Student. I'm your little superhero, a blue mega mind host, Mon. <laughs> and I am your perfect uh, superhero, Nick. Today, we're going to be talking about the best movie of all time, the best film of all time. Literally, as soon as I watched it, I was like, Kino, this is Kino. It's mega mind. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the, C- the DCEU, has nothing in comparison to what Megamind is. Like, Megamind defined the superhero genre in 2010. Like, it basically swooped the entire superhero genre, and then it was like, you know what? It just took a huge fat shit on top of the entire MCU. I'm not gonna lie, even though the MCU didn't really exist back then. No, DCEU, uh, I'd say. Yeah. It takes a shit on DC because it's a... Megamind is a film that's basically a deconstruction of the Superman Mm -hmm. myth. And the premise is, essentially, what if Lex Luthor won? And that's the film. The film is, there's Megamind, there's Metrocity Man. Metrocity Man. And it's like... (laughs) I'm pronouncing it like Will Ferrell. And it's like... What if Megamind, the villain, won? What next? What happens? Exactly. And the whole film is just that. And I, this film has been on my list for so long that I had to like message Mon and be like, yo, we need to do a podcast on this so that I have to mm-hmm. watch it because it's been on my list, but I can't bring myself to watch it. So make me watch it. Mm. And we did. And it was Fucking it was amazing. And the good thing about Megamind is that not only is it so subversive with genre, but it also came from DreamWorks as well. And obviously, it isn't really a well-known property of DreamWorks. It isn't like your Kung Fu Pandas. It isn't like your Shreks. It isn't like your How to Train Your Dragons. It's kind of like one of those solo films that DreamWorks kind of puts out that you kind of seamlessly forget about. And like, you know, when you're like, five years later on after you've like after you've seen it and then like suddenly you actually just think about it and you're like, oh yeah there's like megamind have you guys seen that film you know like it's kind of like one of those films i think it's because it got overshadowed because it was released the same year as despicable me and both of them have characters in it called minion both of them about villains one just happened to be more cheaply produced and easier to manufacture essentially by illumination because illumination productions just manufactures shit that's why minions is so easy because the animation is so low quality but oh my god can we just start by saying the animation in this was so amazing mega mind it was like it's so weird because usually like you know how to train your dragon like two Mm -hmm. and three those are, like, really show-off-y. Like, they really show off their mm-hmm. animation. And, like, uh, going to Disney, Disney uh, Frozen, that really shows off the animation. Look at how the snow falls. But I feel like Megamind is really understated. Like, it, it's not showboaty. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like, ooh, look at this animation. 
Ooh, look at it. It's so pretty. <laughs> it's just, it's just Loki. It's subtle, yeah. But it's brilliant. It surprises you. It's gorgeous. Like, buildings will be falling and all of a sudden I'm sitting here like, wow. Oh my God. It is. It That's is. Great. And if you guys want a refresher of what Megamind is about, it's basically about these two extraterrestrial beings. One is called Megamind and one is called Metroman. And so Metroman and Megamind are basically kind of yin and yang. They're basically polar opposites of one another. Megamind is this blue alien figure who has a big giant head and he's known for his intelligence, hence his name Megamind. But with Metroman, Metroman is, you know, he's kind of like your typical alpha male Chad, you know, white guy. He's got like dark hair and he's got those chiseled features. He's kind of like your epitome of like masculinity. And they're basically kind of forced to really fight each other in a way. They both land on Earth and basically Metro Man lands in a house which has a loving family. He has everything he needs. Everything's handed to him in a silver spoon and a silver platter. But with Megamind, he lands inside a prison. And he basically lives inside the prison. He lives with the criminals, basically, right? And so, obviously, it's the whole idea of nature versus nurture, which is a very interesting and very fascinating concept that we'll actually talk about later on as well. Their antagonism between each other grows because Metro Man is always the the Chad. It's the Chad. It's the Chad versus it the is. Virgin. <laughs> it is. This film is actually literally Chad versus and, Virgin. And that's how their relationship grows. And mind you, this is all in the first like three mm-hmm. minutes. And then one day, Megamind wins. He kills, or kills in quotation marks. Metro Man, and he finds that he has no purpose without good. He 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 is yin without yang. So he tries to create the yang, but he accidentally injects the yang into Jonah Hill, and that's where the pro- trouble starts. Because never injected anything into Jonah Hill. <laughs> but that's a little refresher of Megamind. It's very simple and very wonderful storytelling, but it's done in such a nuanced way because of the writing. And I believe I believe that the writing is mm. amazing. The humor is amazing. Like the animation, the humor, and the writing all work together hand in hand. Yeah, actually, a lot of the the funny shit was was just on the comedic yeah. talents of the voice mm-hmm. actors. It was it was just Tina Fey, Will Ferrell, Jonah Hill, and sometimes it was Brad it's Pitt. Not really Brad Pitt. Because <laughs> Brad Pitt is actually really funny. I just okay, this is a brief detour. Brad Pitt is really funny. He is a really good comedic actor. If we just stop putting him into this main character role, like let Brad Pitt be a weird side character. He's so mm-hmm. good at it. I actually think that it works in favor with the film as well because when I went into the when I first went into the film when I was like ten, right? I assumed that the movie would be about Brad Pitt because all of the promotion had Brad Pitt in it. And then you actually watch the film and he's barely in it, like he's barely in any of the scenes. And it's really interesting how Brad Pitt has been kind of seen as Hollywood's golden boy, Hollywood's little Superman. And because of that, we are inclined to believe that Brad Pitt is meant to embody that role, when in reality, he doesn't want to you know, play those roles anymore. He kind of just wants to 
not be the superhero. He just wants to be the music man, you know? I don't know if I've, like, been openly begging, but I've just been internally begging for us to do an Inglorious Bastards yes. episode. Because I believe that that is Brad Pitt's best mm-hmm. role. Because he's, he's, like, kind of the main, but it's also a good excuse for him to do a good character. And I love the character, and I love the dissection of Nazi Germany, and I, lo- I just, I love Inglorious Bastards. But anyway, I really feel that Brad Pitt, like, he's got such star mm-hmm. power, and that's really good as an industrial thing, like, as a tool piece, as a name rec- recognition thing, which this movie obviously capitalised on. But he's so good at little characters, and he's so good at this. Yeah, like, it's really interesting, because, like, we knew that... Like, Looking at the reception of Megamind, it wasn't the best reception. Like, it was getting about 76% on, like, Rotten Tomatoes. And in comparison to, like, what Despicable Me had, it had about, like, 80% or, like, 90%. And I was like, really? Illumination? Despicable Me? Literally, but boy, but boy. Literally, God, but boy. (laughs) And I was like, I was just looking back at it. I'm like, why was Megamind so understated and so like looked over and obviously i genuinely feel like it's because looking at reading at all the past reviews and criticisms they said that megamind was not original nick not original i feel like that's something that comes up with a lot of uh i don't want to call it a parody film because parody film i feel like should be just thrown into the ether as a term like parody film is like vampires suck yeah. or But I feel like this is a deconstruction film, which is why it doesn't feel original, because it's it's a film that takes what we know and deconstructs it. So it feels familiar, but then it does more with it. And so you you look at the premise and it's like, oh, I've seen this before. And it's like, oh, I've imagined this before. Uh, I've I've written a uh, really funny essay about this before. It's like f off <laughs> like this this is still an original film i because i was looking at um other deconstructions of superhero films i really couldn't find one that came up to this level it's it's so good i'm sorry all of my sentences are gonna end with it's so good because it actually is like megamind is a subversive masterpiece and what actually made me consider and reconsider Megamind as a subversive masterpiece was actually a video essay by Shafe Rillis Productions, who's a, an amazing YouTuber. And he made a video talking about Megamind. And I was like, Megamind, really this this shitty movie from the 2010s? Like, I barely remember it. And then I I watched it and I was like, holy crap. Holy, holy, holy crap. Like, this is actually really good. Because it had all of these elements that are, you know, we talk about in all of our other episodes, like masculinity and the ideas of, um, you know, ostracization and even the prison system and even the subversion of the superhero genre. Like all of these things that we talk about and that we pride ourselves talking about and we're very interested in is actually in this film. And it's so overlooked because this film is just, you know, a regular kids film when it really isn't like this is a kids film on the surface but the actual writing and the pacing and and humor is just very very mature and i love that like it it, it just it's so 
it, it's so like wonderful to even to watch it, and it's so enjoyable as well. I feel weird. Well, not weird. I yeah. feel I disagree with uh, lumping in animation as kids. Yeah, well, that's a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, this was um, the I was I was talking about the animation before and how it's so beautiful, and I feel like we don't really remark on how beautiful animation can be unless it's like a Japanese studio. Usually, like it's usually like Studio Ghibli and all of that. Yes, that's on the Super yeah, Studio yeah. Ghibli. Yeah. It's usually. It's usually, like, those guys, or, like, when Wes Anderson does, like, stop yeah. motion, where it's like, oh, animation's so good, or, like, uh, the Loving Vincent mm, movie. Mm. Vincent? Yeah, Loving Vincent, the, yeah. The one, yeah, Van, the one Go. Van Gogh. Yeah. yeah. It's usually when it's Oscar bait that we go, oh, animation's mm. so good, but we don't really realise that, you know, sometimes the mainstream films can actually have really good yeah, animation. Of course. And it can really be beautiful. Just because it's not Oscar bait doesn't mean it's not beautiful. And it doesn't mean it's not also for adults. Like, yeah, I could I could show this to my cousins, but I could also watch this as an adult. So something I find very fascinating that we that you loosely touched base on is the idea of nature versus nurture. With, you know, with Megamind being from, like, this planet and his parents tell him... Sorry, Okay, so with Megamind being from this planet and his parents telling him that he's destined for something. But the most interesting part of the film is that it cuts them off before they can say it. So it's up to us to actually fill in the blanks. And it's also up to Megamind himself to fill in the blanks. What is he destined for? Is he destined to be evil? Is he destined to be good? Is he destined to just, you know, clean carpets for the rest of his life? We don't know. It's up to him to make the choices in his life. And so you see the fact that as soon as he drops down into the prison, he is surrounded by criminals, right? And it's very interesting seeing the idea of the prison system being, you know, spoken about and and represented in megamind do you want to talk about that you probably have more ideas about the prison system than i do yeah yeah because <laughs> i i i talked about this on the scrapped version of our paddington <laughs> episode and thank god that got scrapped because i accidentally some, said some weird mm. things and so now i've had time to refine that but i feel like it's interesting that the way that Megamind defines defeat is, haha, yes, Metro Man, you put me in jail. And that's what Titan, like, catches him mm. up on. Titan's like, nah, you're not going to jail, mate. I'm going to laser you. It's like, ooh, no, there's actual consequences. Because the way that the relationship as we know it had existed was Megamind fights Metro Man, Metro Man puts Megamind in jail, Megamind escapes, and... There's no real rehabilitation because this is, I feel like this is the modern idea or should be the modern idea of jail. It's, it's hard to say because our, like Australia was founded as a penal colony, penal punishment. It, so jail was punishment. And I feel like we've really shifted towards jail should no longer be punishment. It should be rehabilitation. It should be, okay, take these criminals and make them better people but as it functions in fiction 
I feel like it's convenient, and I feel like this is why conservatives really like this convenient thing. It's always punishment. It's it's never, you can get better. It's always, yes, put me in jail, I will come out, and then I will go back in again, and I'll come out, and I'll go back in again. And the the vast majority of people in our prison system can be reformed, and I reckon, this is my, my opinion, I reckon a lot of things that put them in there shouldn't. They shouldn't be in there in mm-hmm. the first place, especially for drug convictions, yeah. but obviously I'm biased. <laughs> um, but they, you just put them in there, and then you don't bring them out, because once you are, there's there's been studies about it, once you are in the prison system for seven mm-hmm. years, it's basically your life. And I'm not going to go into my religious beliefs, but if you believe that you only have one life and you spend all of it in mm-hmm. jail, in captivity, like, that that's inhumane. And so what we see with Megamind is that he doesn't really have a purpose outside of fighting, outside of rebelling against the societal version of good. And he can't really... He's always going to escape jail because he's always better than the warden, they do, they do. And I, I, I find very, um, what I find very interesting is, is the fact that Megamind has been molded by himself to think that he's evil, right? Like, because he's in the prison system, because he was brought up in the prison system. And when he went to school, he was ostracized by his fellow peers. They looked up towards Metro Man. They didn't look up towards him. And so when he asked validation, they laughed at him and they treated him as if he was an outsider. And that's what society does to criminals. And that's what society does to people that have been in the prison system. Because to us, they are and have and will and is ostracized. And again, that's why he's taught to be evil. And that's why he thinks that he is evil, even though it is in his nature to be God. Right? Like when he basically kills, apostrophe, kills Metro Man, and he does all of this stuff that he assumes is bad, after he's done with that, he has no sense of purpose. He goes into an existential crisis and he doesn't know what to do with himself because all he knows is to be a villain and it's to be bad. Now, if you win and all you know is to be bad, what do you do with yourself? Like, what do you think? What do you do? Mm-hmm. Like, where do you go? Like, who am I? It's because he basically thinks that he himself is the embodiment of evil because of the place that he was nurtured in. And it's like you said, like the, the parental guidance thing. It's his parents send him off. And it's like, you're destined for what? He doesn't hear that. And I think the thing that a lot of people, basically all of us have, is what do our parent what are we destined for what do our parents want us to do and none of most of us never get the answer we don't know what our parents are like want exactly what are we destined for who knows knows? and what's very interesting is with metro man he was told from the start to be good he was told from the start to be a hero and so he himself is pressured by society to protect but essentially that protection turns into arrogance you know he becomes very egotistical you know he's depicted as that very arrogant that very proud that very you know confident leader you know that kind of confident superhero superman archetype and you know he knows himself that he doesn't really want to do that 
So when Megamind tries to kill him and he goes into like that existential crisis state where he basically like slows down time and he actually just like, you know, runs really fast and he starts thinking about his life. You know, he reads a couple of self-help books and he flies a kite and stuff like that. But he is having a self-reflective moment where he's thinking about his purpose in life. Is this something that I want to do? You know, ever since I was a child, I was brought up to be a superhero but it's not something that I I want like I want I love music I might not be good at it but I love music and it's something that I want to do and so that's kind of a whole idea with Metro Man is that when you are enforced in a place in society where you are molded to be what society wants you to be and you don't want to be it you have to break out that mold somehow and that's there's one part where he talks to Megamind and he says you know there's always good that can fight bad or some some type of line like that. And like that's true. And he is giving Megamind a pathway that you don't have to be evil. You can choose to be good. And you can choose to make your own choices without having society place these choices upon you. And I think that's a very beautiful concept to teach young children. And just not just young children, but just adults and people in general that we have to make choices to be good if we want to be good we are not destined by how we were brought up like we don't have to be evil just for the sake of it we can always find a way to put others above ourselves if we want to or we can actually take the selfish route to take the selfish route the selfish apostrophes and you know do what we want because you only have one life right and I feel like that's what's interesting about Metro Man's arc is that as a kid, you might see him as selfish. As a viewer, as a person who is in the audience, you might see him as selfish because it's like, ah, oh, Superman gave up. But it's like you realize that he's a person. Um, he doesn't want to be burdened with this responsibility of saving the day all the time. And it's like, yeah, he should be allowed to step away. That's not selfish. That is just... It's just him utilizing his autonomy and expressing that. Mm. And I also love how it has that whole nod towards Superman because of the Lois Lane character, Roxanne, who I love, by the way. She's voiced by Tina Fey. She's funny. She's also a huge girl boss. Like, she, like, although she's a damsel in distress, she's also the bat, most badass damsel in distress because she does take control. Like, she's, like, sitting in a chair and Megamind's, like, kind of almost torturing her. But she's like, look, I've got it all. I've seen it all. Like, I'm not scared, you know? Which is part of the deconstruction element. It's, uh, because DreamWorks, which produced Megamind, is built on deconstruction. They... They started off with basically, uh, what was the first uh, DreamWorks film? I'm pretty sure. Shrek? One of the first were Shrek. Shrek? Yeah. Yeah. Because they were doing Shrek and Prince mm. of Egypt at the mm-hmm. same time. Oh, Ants might have also been there. That was like early Yeah, 90s, I don't even remember at all. <laughs> I was not even conceived. Ants was fucking terrifying. Oh my god, I did not want to talk about Ants. <laughs> Let's not talk about Ants. Let's talk about Ants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Because DreamWorks was built on subversion. Mm-hmm. They did Shrek, which was an entire subversion. It is, what are fairy tales but too much? And now, ten years after Shrek, we have Megamind, which is, what if superheroes but too much? And I feel that's really 
is seeing the future because it is seeing like the future of the mm. MCU just just going too much, too much, yeah, man. It, it's it's it's. It's very funny how they're able to perceive the oversaturation of the superhero genre in the market and the fact that most of the superhero genre has such a huge focus on the heroes themselves and this was one of the few films that focused on the villain and the identity of the villain and how different the villain is compared to the hero because I'm going to go in a whole like you know talk about this but it's the whole idea of the, the whole idea of the superhero genre is clouded with the idea of masculinity. So we talk about masculinity a lot, and I feel like this movie really has a lot of themes of that, and we haven't talked about it in a while. I think, yeah, I kind of shut you down back in like episode five. We stopped talking about it. It's like I got sick of it because we kept talking about masculinity. I'm like, I know, please, it's almost, anything it's almost else? Like masculinity is entrenched in so many films because most. Oh my god, it's almost as wi- women and men happen to be in films I know. a lot. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> yeah, but I feel like this is actually really relevant. The whole idea of the superhero genre is built on the idea of hypermasculinity. It's, the, it's built on the idea of, you know, the superhero man being the epitome of manhood, being the epitome of hypermasculinity. He's strong, he's powerful, he's tall, he's good-looking, he's muscular basically what Superman and what Metroman is. And you actually contrast that with how supervillains are depicted. Megamind is depicted in a very feminized way. He's depicted in a very queer way. He wears a lot of black leather. He wears eyeliner. He's blue. And he actually looks very tiny and very small and very gangly. He has to focus on using his gadgets and his intellect rather than his physical prowess compared to Metroman. And you see that there is a huge kind of shift in that masculinity where it kind of changes. What I find very fascinating with Megamind is the fact that it actually subverts this idea of masculinity. And it does this in a very fascinating way. Because Metro Man has been raised in a very, in a very wealthy, very heteronormative household. Megamind is... is basically kind of the idea of of being raised in a way that is not that while metro man is raised in such a privileged place he is the epitome of masculinity why megamind isn't it's the fact that they grew up in two different places and because they're so pole they're such polar opposites it showcases megamind kind of coming out on top after he kills metro man and in a sense, when Megamind comes out on top, the gangly, the intellectual, the, you know, not really hyper-masculinized figure wins, he actually has a crisis of masculinity. He starts having nostalgic thoughts about wanting to have, you know, that partner to kind of fight with, that, you know, that partner to, you know, defeat. So now that he doesn't have that, He goes into an existential crisis, but not only is it an existential crisis, it's a crisis in masculinity. That's interesting. I don't know if I buy it, though, because Metro Man, he knew he wasn't beaten in that first 15 minutes. He he opted out, and I don't know if masculinity had much to do with it. I do agree with you that the physical, the aesthetics of the characters is very revealing of masculine uh stereotypes like uh megamind is slim he's a twink basically and megamind's a beefcake 
and the beefcake is more appealing to us, and the twink is not, because twink is not... Actually, Megamind's kind of hot. Okay, we're going to talk about that later, but, like, the thing about Megamind is the fact that he's... He's the way he's depicted because he's depicted in like leather, he's clad in leather, he's wearing all black, he's wearing eyeliner. Not only is that feminine, but it's also very queer. And it's the whole idea of, you know, even his intimate relationship with, you know, Minion, who is very like agendered as well. I find it very fascinating how super villainy is, is, is very queer coded. Yeah, I don't know if I. Well, I did feel a little bit, uh, like, a little bit gay vibes here, but I don't know if eyeliner is gendered. Like, Patrick Stump wore eyeliner. Like, that's, that's not gay. But, but obviously, in the, in the interactions, that's where you sort of feel that, uh, queer coding. And you obviously feel the very, like, compulsory heterosexuality with, uh, the Tina Fey character and the Brad Pitt character. It's like, Oh, we were never really, like, in a relationship. The press just made us out to be. Like, it's like, Tina Fey, you are the press. Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 very interesting how that that kind of forced heterosexuality is is definitely in place between the relationship between the relationship between Metro Man and and Roxanne. But when Roxanne and, it's and just Lois Lane and Superman. Superman. Exactly. And it is is just as much ke- much chemistry as Lois Lane and Superman in in all of Zack Snyder's exactly DCEU. So true, so true. I hate Lois. This is we will never do an episode on one of the Superman DCEU no, films. Never. Please, we can we can do Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. We can do Justice, uh, not Justice League. We can do Suicide Squad twenty twenty one because that's really good. Mm-hmm. But we will never, never do one of the ones that have Henry Cavill as Superman. I I do not like that Lois Lane. I do not like that Superman. I just... Megamind and Tina Fey have a lot more chemistry than those two do. Yeah, no, honestly, they... I completely agree with you. They're really horrible and I hate them. But comparing how uh, the interaction between Roxanne and Megamind, they obviously don't like each other. But when they actually have that really nice moment where they're both talking to Metro Man after he passes away and they're actually like, you know, on different ends of each other and she realizes that someone is there and then he actually turns into Bernard. Just briefly, I just want to say that bit is such a good example of how cinematography can work in animation. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It is so good. It is such a good set piece, and I love mm-hmm. it. Go on. I know, and it also shows the dichotomy of their of their different personalities and who they are and where they come from. Roxanne comes from, you know, the, she's she's basically the golden girl. She is the damsel in distress, and then you have Megamind, who's the supervillain. He's the guy that keeps kidnapping her and you know keeps using her to get to Metro Man. They are basically on polar opposites because they are polar opposites. But then later on, you see them get closer when they start talking about Metro Man. Metro Man brings them together. And when they, you know, when they meet up, Megamind is ashamed of himself. He's ashamed of how he's how he looks. He's ashamed of his masculinity. So he has to adopt a new sense of masculinity. He becomes 
Bernard, who is this dark academia, soft boy with round glasses who I simp for. He is cute. And then you start to see that he changes himself into a new man to befriend Roxanne. And then they start to fall in love with each other because the Bernard that we saw before was just boring, this tired guy. But then you see... Megamind's personality shining through Bernard and you see that Bernard isn't Bernard it's Megamind and I think it's just wonderful seeing how he traverses that masculinity in such an interesting way and it's very funny because there's actually a way um there's actually a new word in academia called the sensitive new age guy called the snag and this guy is defined for being you know very perceptive for being very you know he's a simp you know like he's a soft boy and he cares for his girlfriend and he's wonderful and actually cares for someone almost like you you need an academic term to define a good decent man that's how bad men are nowadays okay (laughs) you need an academic term hey not all men not all men chris evans is pretty good yeah the rest of us are shit (laughs) he's kind of a zionist but we keep i keep going we keep going yeah, uh, Bernard is interesting because he's non-existent for most of the film, but his character design is... I have horny thoughts. I, I'm saying, but... <laughs> I need to go to horny jail. We both... I will not be rehabilitated. Exactly. But I need to go. We both do because, <laughs> like, Bernard is just... He is a snack. He is a man that I will let explore my entire body. Although he may be a white man... But he is a white man that I simp for. Okay? He is beautiful. The character design is amazing. And it when you add that Mega Mind flair into it, I'm just like, I'm about to uh, um I'm 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 about to do something I've never done. But the idea of hegemonic masculinity has also been exemplified in Mega Mind, not only through Bernard and through Mega Mind adopting a new persona, a, a new, you know, physical persona. He also in the attempt to reclaim and reaffirm that traditional masculinity that he missed by, you know, not having Metro Man in his life, he creates a new type of masculinity, Titan. Titan is the most fascinating character and villain that I've ever seen in animation, especially in DreamWorks and almost in cinema. Because there's this whole, especially especially in 2010, I'm just saying, in 2010, the whole idea of the nice guy of the incel being, you know, very villainized before it became um, mainstream during like 2018, 2019, where a lot of, you know, nice guy incel discourse has been, you know, popularized. I found this so, so perplexing and so so fascinating to talk about i can't wait to talk about it i just saw instantly how it's essentially the uh myth of the nice guy the friend zoned guy who gets put in the friend zone and can you hear the the big quotes that i'm doing mm. air quotes air quotes listener air quotes. can you hear those you... friend zone exactly. the friend zone doesn't fucking exist mm. It is just a woman being your friend, you fucks. Yeah, the friend zone. He gets put in the friend zone and he acts out because of it. Because 
women are still property, essentially, in this guy's mind. He wants to have a relationship with a woman because he thinks he's entitled to it. He doesn't think, ooh, I want a relationship with this person because a relationship is fulfilling as a human being. He thinks, oh, I want to, I, I want to own this person, basically. I, she belongs to me because of some messed up sense of superiority, basically. And it's this, it's legitimately male privilege. And you see, he starts off as this weak little incel, he's fat, he's, uh, he's not really doing much, he gets constantly ignored, but he's, he's imbued with this, this strength and these powers, and the first thing he does is prey on women. The, the climax, the denouement, is he preys on the same woman, but worse, <laughs> and he, lashes out on the city, he writes his name with his laser eyes, and I really think that when was Man of Steel released? The Zack Snyder film? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I just work here, you guys. I don't I don't know anything about Man of Steel or DCEU. Um, oh, 2013. 2013. It was released like oh my like God. three years after. I thought Megamind. it was like 2008. No, it was three years after <laughs> Megamind. Yeah, and it's like, how did Megamind deconstruct this narrative of that laser eyes destroy an entire city before Man of Steel even happened? How did Megamind do a better reaction to Man of Steel before Man of Steel happened? Exactly, exactly. You see this all the time. A man gets rejected, especially in America, where guns are very free. Man gets rejected, man goes and shoots up a place. It's a symptom of, I don't want to say masculinity, but it's a symptom of a toxic culture. It's it's very it's a very type of mas- it's a very different type of masculinity. It's toxic masculinity. It's more complicated. It's so it's very nuanced topic to talk about because I myself have been so fascinated with the idea of incel culture, and I've done a lot of research on it i've been on incel forum boards i've i've seen how they talk and they are honestly i genuinely don't want to say this but i genuinely feel bad for them like they are people that reaffirm their ideas with each other they are different types of incels as well most fascinating are the gym cells so the incels that gym all the time where they have that physical body where they don't really look like what people would think an incel would look like, right? Like, not like long, greasy hair and, like, you know, hasn't showered in, like, two months. It's those guys that take care of them the way they look. It's just the way they speak, the way they see oneself. It's the way they they treat and think about women. And it's the way they treat women is what makes them an incel. They think they're entitled to women because of the way they look, because of the way they act. And I've... I've had so many encounters with nice guys like that. I've been stalked by nice guys like that. I've been harassed by nice guys like that. Nice guys are dangerous because they think they own you because you talk to them. And I work in customer service and I deal with nice guys all the time. I am nice to you because it's my job. Not because I want to go on a date with you. And that's so much... it's, It's just the fact that like women and femme presenting people have to go through this all the time because of the fact that we are nice and 
I, I, I genuinely hate that. And there's a term used for these incels and the way Titan and how it's depicted. It's called retrosexual, where they want the idea of the man pursuing the woman and the woman being the property of the man. They want that idea back. And it's a, it's a, it's a very, very traditional and very regressive form of masculinity. And that is what Titan embodies. And you see the way he's so narcissistic, and he's misogynistic, he's sexist, he's selfish. And he basically, as soon as he finds Roxanne, he takes her, literally abducts her, throws her around the city and catches her like she's an object, like she's a literal ragdoll. And that is how he sees Roxanne. Again, like even when he was like, when he wasn't like imbued with all that superhero power and he's not like, you know, like a gym bro, you know? No, he's like a fucking Chad. He still is creepy. Even when he was still a cameraman, he still was creepy. He was advancing on her when she didn't want to. She saw him as a friend and he tried, you know, he even brought a wedding photographer and invited him to his house with a bouncy castle when, you know, his apartment is so tiny. Where is his bouncy castle? Like, it's obviously a lie. And you see that these type of men are dangerous, but they're also everywhere and it's a shame that a lot of women and Pemberton people that I've spoken to about nice guys they have so many stories about them I definitely agree with you Nick it's a symptom of of toxicity and it's a symptom of very disruptive and dangerous way that masculinity is showcased in society I feel like a lot of our issues as a society really stem from the 1950s in America. It was post-war, it was everything's good, you're gonna get a picket fence, you're gonna get a house, you're gonna get a woman, and there, 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 you're gonna get a woman, because this whole owning a woman thing happened, like, it, it became like a real thing, like, as we know it, that, that nuclear family, that's why we call it that, because we're scared of the nuclear war, Nuclear family! Yeah, and uh, I feel like a lot of guys uh, feel like they're not really socialized properly because dads don't talk that much. They they really don't tell you how they did it. <laughs> they may have done it very, very ethically, but they don't tell you the kids that. So many romantic comedies are just, they win the woman over in such toxic ways. The way that men are taught to love women is toxic in a lot of ways. Even the fact that, like, I was so scared of men. Like, I was so scared of men. And I was just so afraid of them coming onto me. And obviously this has reflected the... <laughs> oh, no, Nick! <laughs> 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 I saw that face and I knew what I said. I'm I sorry. Okay. I tried not to. Okay. Okay, okay. I was so afraid of men approaching me and, and you know, advancing on me. And I just didn't know how to handle it. And I definitely agree with you. The way men are taught to love women is incredibly toxic. So when a man first was nice to me, respected me, treated me well, and actually welcomed my opinions and made me feel safe and protected I was just awestruck I was like what men like you exist and a lot of men like this exist it's just the fact that like 
so many toxic men kind of ruin that reputation and image for other men who are amazing and who are good people. And it's also the fact that a lot of women have such low standards for men. Like even when it, we, I have, I had the lowest standard of men. When a man was nice to me, I was like, wow, he is such a nice person. That is the bare minimum. That is literally the bare minimum. When a man did not assault me or harass me, I thought that was good. That was how, that is how young women are thought to, uh, thought to think. That's how we are meant to think now. Yeah, uh, I feel like incel is a mindset. Just like my dad theorizes that being a boomer is a mindset because my dad is technically a boomer. I feel like you can you can fuck, but you can still be an incel, despite what the word means. You can be a baby boomer, and you cannot act like it. And you can be involuntarily celibate, and you cannot be an incel. It's all in the mindset, and it's all in how you treat people. And I feel like both of them, there's that uh, similarity where baby boomers and incels have a lack of empathy they don't see people as people. They see people as obstacles, essentially. Obstacles and objects. Yeah. Basically, Meg... Okay, so in regards to Megamind, when Megamind reveals himself to not be Bernard anymore, Roxanne is very re- realistically hurt about it because she's fallen for a guy that she didn't know was, you know, the guy that kidnapped her and basically destroyed the entire city and went on a rampage. He, what he does, he doesn't lash out on her. He accepts that she's angry and he knows that what he's done is wrong. And he basically realizes how bad he is and he takes himself to jail. That is how different Megamind is. And the reason why he doesn't lash out to her is because he respects her. And look at the difference between how Hal was, like how Hal reacted when she rejected him to how. Megamind reacted to when Roxanne rejected him. There's two differences in masculinity. There's toxic masculinity and there's masculinity that isn't toxic. Yeah, and I feel like it's very interesting because we don't know how Hal was raised. Uh, There were some references to a dead mum or something, but we, we don't know what his relationship with his parents was actually like. But we see what Megamind's relationship with the people who raised him was like and he was raised in a prison environment and he learnt respect whereas Hal is just an ordinary guy who does not know respect and I feel like that's the key word. But it's the fact that Megamind doubts himself so much that he can't really cope with the idea of being a good person so that's why he turns himself in and that kind of pivotal moment where he and Roxanne kind of break up in that middle of the rain was very heartfelt because it was just so, like we knew it was going to happen and we knew it was coming but when it did come, when, when when it did occur it really was heartbreaking to see that because you see his facial expression you see how heartbroken he was and the fact that he he knew that she was right and then you see later on, like, was it later on? You see, like, later on or beforehand, I'm not quite sure which one. But he also has a, you know, debacle with Minion, who I love. We haven't spoken about Minion, I love him. He's so cute. 
Minion's so good. He's and so cute. is voiced by like one of my favorite actors. Really? David Cross. <gasps> Leah. Really? Yeah, he's on Arrested Development. Oh, wow. He's on the show that I'm watching right now, which is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. He's on he, he's on so much and he's so good. He's a very he's just he's so good. It's like, I'm, oh my god, when Minion is just being dramatic, it's like, oh, I'm gonna die. And the entire time I was just like, bro, he's a fish, and there's water right behind him. Just chuck the fish <laughs> into the water. And then that's exactly what they do. Mm. And it's like, oh yeah, he was just being dramatic. I love that. I love it. I love that for Minion. Yeah, it's like Megamind just being like, oh yeah, he's just a dramatic bitch. Push, <laughs> put him into the water. He's like, he's okay. I, I love, love that. I love it. And it's 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 also the fact that when they did, you know, event like inevitably, inevitably, you know, have that rift between them, it was it didn't really feel. I know people thought it was forced and that it's such you know a trope. We see it all the time, but I thought it was just really wholesome how they did it where they were just both yelling at each other, except they were also, like, being very nice at the same time. It was just really funny. Yeah, um, because I hadn't watched this until literally the day before we recorded this, because this has been on my watch list for so long, but for some reason, I couldn't watch it. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't bring myself to watch it. Mm. And so Mm. I absorbed a lot of the, the plot through the internet i i already knew that uh metro man wasn't actually dead after the the first 10 minutes i i knew that and i knew that megamind and tina Fey's character would end up together but i felt like absorbing that i'm just like oh that feels like so forced but seeing it actually play out yeah seeing the way that they do it it's very artistic and it's very really it felt new it felt innovative that's mm. the word it felt innovative it wasn't nothing i'd ever seen before it was like it wasn't like oh my god i've never seen this before but it was like this is done really well in a way that i have not seen in a while mm. it in is. a way that i haven't seen with its contemporaries it is and like you don't really get many superhero films like this nowadays like you get maybe the boys and the boys. The boys. Sorry. I love I have that. to. As a man, I have to. <laughs> the boys. Or even Watchmen as well, where they contend with the idea of the superhero and they contend with the idea and the, and the kind of grey morality of superheroes. And yeah, I feel like Watchmen is really interesting because that is also a deconstruction of the superhero genre. It's interesting because it's very, it's a very cynical uh, deconstruction. I feel like this Megamind is a optimistic deconstruction, whereas Watchmen is a pessimistic deconstruction. And I feel like we don't really talk about those aspects that much. We talk about, ooh, deconstruction, satire, parody, but we don't talk about, okay, is it optimistic? Is it pessimistic? Is it in the middle? Is it constructive? And that's... There's, there's, I have so many thoughts on Megamind. Mm, like, there is... Yeah, like, Megamind is just, because it's so subversive, because it just subverts every single narrative that's given to us, there's so many indirections, like, plot indirections, and there's so many just different parts of, like, the writing and the animation and the pacing. It's all misdirected to keep you on your seats. Like, you don't know what to expect next, and I love that about Megamind. When I first watched it for the first time, I was like, 
I don't understand this because I was like 10. But then when I rewatched that, I was like, wow, this is actually really good. It's so amazing. And I'm having so much fun watching it. And I feel that's something that DreamWorks really, as a studio, excels at. Okay, you watch Disney movies and they're really fun, as especially as kids. But do you feel the urge to rewatch Disney films? I've never rewatched a Disney film ever. Sometimes I do. <laughs> I don't. Because I don't Sometimes. really... I don't have that nostalgia with them. Like, I don't... Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's not nostalgia. For me, it's entirely just being... I want to log it on Letterboxd and I want to give it a score. Because most of the things I saw as a kid don't have a score on them. Because I wasn't thinking of scores as a kid. But... I feel like DreamWorks really excels in this because you want to rewatch it as an adult. You want to rewatch Shrek. You want to rewatch Kung Fu Panda. You want to rewatch How to Train Your Dragon. You want to rewatch Megamind. Oh my god, I saw it yesterday and I already want to rewatch it. And I feel like that's what DreamWorks excels at brilliantly. It's like, it's not the way that Frozen or something would do oh, it appeals to all family humour and stuff. Because, like, in Frozen, it's like, haha, that was a penis joke. But in Shrek, it's like, oh, this is actually a really good movie. Mm. And even my mum loves it. Even my dad loves it. Even my aunties and uncles love it. Like, everyone loves Shrek. Everyone loves Shrek. Like, you talk to everyone, they're like, oh, you love Shrek. They're like, yes, I love Shrek. It's because, like, it's one of those movies. Yeah. Nobody loves Frozen. Mm. Apart from, like, little kids that, like, aren't really people because they don't have a brain cell yet. Because they're not people. <laughs> little kids aren't people. Sorry. Sorry, little kids. If you manage to get you onto this podcast feed, how the... How? How? And also, you're not a person. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's something that DreamWorks really excels at. It's creating actual family films as family films are meant to be because I feel like it's been so distilled it's it's become so much of a oh this is a kid's film but occasionally we'll throw a dick joke in there mm. but DreamWorks makes a family film they do and I could show Megamind to my mum and I know she would like it I reckon she would I know she would like it. I know my parents would like it and they don't watch any film in general because me and my sister love Megamind and I think also with DreamWorks, they also have so many pop culture references as well. Like even Megamind, there's a lot of references to rock songs, to amazing pop culture songs. You have Elvis as like, you know, kind of an inspiration of Elvis, like Elvis as an inspiration for Metro Man. And you just, oh, the songs are amazing. Oh my God. Yes. It's the second best DreamWorks soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It is like Shrek who? Because obviously the best soundtrack on DreamWorks is Shrek 2. Of course, of course. But Megamind is like second best. It's so good. It's so good, like, isn't it? All of it is so good. Like, obviously they just use the originals. They don't use covers like uh, Shrek 2 did. But it's so good in that, though. It's like bad and bad to the bone and welcome to the jungle. And it's like, ooh, like, baby. Damn. I. I absolutely love it. And the thing is, for me, it's third because number two belongs to Kung Fu Panda, the entire Kung Fu Panda trilogy. Because I... Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. that's what... That that was Hans Zimmer at his peak, in my personal opinion. And we'll talk about that another day if we're ever doing a Kung Fu Panda episode because I know I'll pop off in that one because everybody knows that I am literally, like, a whore for Kung Fu Panda. One thing I didn't like was the opening. The opening of the film. 
which was the, uh, oh, you want to know how I got here falling from the sky? I don't like it because I don't feel like it added much to the narrative sometimes. I don't hate the trope because sometimes it can really add a lot to a film if it's done well. I just don't think it was appropriate and I don't think it added that much and it's like it's a weird hang up. It is. I don't like it. Yeah. But yeah, like I I I love this movie and I actually recommend this movie to like everyone I know because I just feel like it's just amazing. It's just a great dissection of superhero genre, of masculinity, of even like small themes like, you know, the prison system. It's just all of these elements work so well together. Like, honestly, takeaway here is that DreamWorks is the superior. They're the superior animation company, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Studio Ghibli. Fuck off. Okay, I actually <laughs> love Studio Ghibli, though. Okay, no, Studio okay, Ghibli is yeah. not okay. Studio, I mean, Studio Ghibli's on top. You can top. stay. Studio Ghibli's on you're top. Not. Okay, Studio Ghibli's no. on top. And then I'm second, sorry, but... second is Lack of Studios. And then third is Did DreamWorks. Did they make Shrek 2? Okay, they didn't. But they did make Spirit They Ghibli. didn't. They, they didn't make Shrek 2. They didn't. They then had, fuck off. They, ha- they made, they made Pompoco. They made Pompoco, which had tunnel keys. And there was one scene in the movie where, like, a literal, like, tanuki, which is, like, a raccoon dog, had his balls, and he stretched out his balls like a little uh, a parachute. And it was really odd, and I loved it. And I love Studio Ghibli. <laughs> just look at your face. You're just like, mm, what? What is she talking about? Okay, but um, <laughs> did they have a scene where uh, fairy godmother just fucking slaps? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you for sticking with us through uh, this trying time. These trying times, yes. Yes, you can find us on Letterboxd, TikTok, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, Instagram, and I think I didn't forget and anything. And I think that's everything else. You can also find us on every single podcast listening platform as well. We're available on all of those, Spotify, SoundCloud, Audible, all of that check us out we're all there or you probably are already listening to us but you know who knows thank you tell your friends tell your mums tell your aunties tell your dads don't tell your dads unless i can fuck them wait no no (laughs) 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 all right i've been mon and i'll be nick i'll fuck your dad (laughs) 